great worship church. Praise God for that. Love that song. Love that song. All right, well, take your Bible, if you have one, and turn it to the book of Ephesians. We're in a Beloved Identity series today, and this, is, this has been a great series. This is our second to last sermon in this series, so turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I have a question to start us off with today, and so I hope you're ready to think right away. Uh, no, we're, we're just going to go right into it, all right? What do you think of when you hear the word holiness? Holiness. What comes to mind? Maybe it's a godly man or woman who have words of truth and kindness. That would be awesome if that's what you think of when you think of holiness. For a lot of people, though, when when we hear the word holiness, we are thinking rigid, stuffy, People who are hard to get along with. Uh, anybody, anybody, you know, have these have these feelings at all? Am I the only one? Uh, you know, it's it it's not really an exciting word, is it? A lot of times, I mean, even even us Christians who we know we should be holy, holiness is something we don't like to necessarily talk about a whole lot because it just doesn't sound very fun. It's it's not it's not really who we want to be at all times. Uh, but holiness, I think, is a very misunderstood word. I actually think it's a lost word for a lot of Christians. And I have good news for you. Today, you're going to find out what biblical holiness actually is. We're preaching a sermon on holiness. Gasp. Yeah, a a list of do's and don'ts. That's the sermon today. But good news is holiness actually brings joy. Holiness is what we need in this world. And you want holiness in this world, whether you realize it or not. But to prove to you that so many people misunderstand this whole concept of holiness, I want to tell you what the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says about holiness. Are you ready for the dictionary definition of holiness? This might tell us why we're so confused about it. But it says, the quality or state of being holy used as a title for various high religious dignitaries. Doesn't sound very good and the surface. And you may be thinking, wait, David, did the dictionary just use the word to define the word? Isn't that what my teacher in third grade told me never to do? Yes, yes, it did, actually. Good job, dictionary, Merriam-Webster. Well, let's see if it can redeem itself. Let's go to the definition of holy. Maybe that'll help. What's the definition of holy? Exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. I already have a headache I'm already a little depressed. I'm not getting there. Holiness sounds really hard. It sounds really stuffy. So you can see why we have a messed up idea, a foggy, vague notion of the word holiness. We need to take it back. We need to find out what God's word says about holiness. Last week in Ephesians 4, I said that holiness is standing out and being different. And that's how you become the change that you want to see in this world. All right, that's what I I quickly alluded to that because in Ephesians 4, at the very end there of our sermon last week, we left off with verses 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And in this Beloved Identity series, we're seeing truth after truth of our beloved identity. You know what doesn't fly in 2019? 
You may be thinking, well, holiness doesn't fly in 2019. That's not what I'm looking for. What doesn't fly is telling someone to do something or to be something without giving them a reason why. Wouldn't you agree? Does anyone in here want to be told to do something and then just have no reason, just do it? I mean, that sounds so 20th century, right? Like, we, we've been too abused by authorities in our lives to just willfully follow and, and just put our head down and do whatever they say we should do. No, we need to know why. We want to know why nowadays. Why should I do this? Well, thankfully, today, we're going to be in the authoritative word of God. This is the truth source that has been revealed and been preserved for us. And we're not talking about some list of holiness that you may have heard from a sermon a long time ago when you were a kid. Or this isn't necessarily what your mom and dad said or necessarily what you read in a book. What we're going to see today is exactly what God's word says about holiness. And we're going to allow God's word to divine holiness. There's something that we saw last week that definitely bears repeating here today as we go into this. To put off and to put on. If you want to change, if you want to be holy, you have to replace your old actions with something different. All right? We see this all the time in life. My little daughter, Monroe, she's starting to walk around now. She's so cute. She's the same age as this church, and she's just now starting to waddle around and smile and giggle and laugh, and she loves holding onto my phone or the TV remote or the PlayStation controller. I mean, she just loves those. That's like her whole goal in life right now is to, to put her mouth all over that. And I don't want her to do that because I don't want her to break it, right? I don't want her to get sick with germs. So I can't just rip it out of her hands, though, because then what happens? If I just pull it away, there's tears. No, Daddy, you took that away from me. I mean, that's what she's saying with her tears. I have to replace it with something else. No, here, Monroe, try this giraffe chew toy. Give her that, and then I can pull out the remote out of her hands. And it works. You have to replace something from the past with something new. And the same thing with my older boys who are starting to reason now. Beckham and Paxson, as soon as they're able to start thinking through and processing stuff, no, you can't eat sugar right now for every single meal. You already had a donut. Why, Dad? Well, if you eat too much sugar, you get a tummy ache. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down to them and explain. I don't want your teeth to rot out. I'm always thinking of new ways to explain. You can't have more sugar. But I'm telling them why. And this is what we're going to get with this list of holiness. We're going to get the hows, how you do it, what you do, how you re replace something, you put off, you put on. We're going to see all that, the do's, the don'ts, and the whys. There's also a reason why in here. So I love this list of holiness. This is the list of holiness, the do's, the don'ts, and the whys. And one more prelude before we jump into the text. Please set aside your preconceived notions of holiness. I want you to do that. We all have a story. We all have people who've influenced us in our life. But please just mentally clear that desktop. And let's go for what does God's word say about holiness? Because a lot of times man adds things to what scripture says. We have a natural tendency to do that that's just nasty. It doesn't always work out for us. But we always will say, oh, well, this sounds good, too. And we slap a holiness label on there. So, we'll, so just try to clear your mind of what your concept going in of holiness is. We all have biases. Let's just say, what does God's word say about holiness? This is what we do every week. And let's go from there. So you ready for this? Ephesians 4, pick it up in verse 25. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. All right, so we're seeing here the put off, the put on, and why we have to do it. Do it. I know some of us think of holiness and we just get bad vibes. Some of us are scared to be a holy person because we're not going to be popular or, or, or the way we used to be. Sometimes we can even be overwhelmed by holiness and just try so hard we grow weary in that. Through all of that, there's a very simple pattern that we see in this list. Every time you see one of God's principles here, one of these action points, if he's telling us don't do something, it's to protect us. This basically sounds like a, like a life group cat question. But what do all these have in common? Every single one of these don'ts is destructive to you. It's destructive to you. And if God says don't, it's short for don't hurt yourself. If God says don't, he's not trying to be a killjoy. He's actually trying to protect you. And it's so important that we remember that. Usually that's obvious. And I mean, in this list that we just read, yeah, it's pretty obvious. Stealing, bad. That hurts people. We get that. It's not always as easy to see that, though, in some of the things that don't look as harmful on the surface. I mean, disobeying my parents? I, I, okay, well, I mean, my, my, do I have to do that, really? Is it really a big deal? Yes. Yes, it really is. If you honor your father and mother, they are looking out for you. If they love God and they love you, they're trying to protect you. So do listen to them, for sure. And there is pain if you go that other way and you ignore that. When the Bible talks about not having sex before marriage, I mean, that's a really tough one. That sounds really, are you, are you sure the Bible says that? Yes, the Bible says that. And it's not because God doesn't want you to have fun. It's because God knows what's best for you. So whenever you come across a list of holiness and you see what the Bible says don't do and to actually do, realize it's because God loves you and he has a plan for you that's better than your plan for yourself. And trust that he loves you. So here's the first way that we walk in the likeness of God in true holiness. The first one, first point, put off lying, put on speaking truth for transparent community. This is verse 25. And I told you, you know, this was going to be a list of do's and don'ts. And this is a personal list. This is a very practical list. And we're going to go through all five of these today. But this is not just being good for goodness sake. That's not what we're trying to do here. The greater context of this in the book of Ephesians is you have been saved by grace through faith. This is who you are now. You are a chosen child of God. And now that we know our identity, here's the actual, the blueprint of how we should live our lives. 
put off lying and put on speaking truth. Put away falsehood and speak truth with your neighbor. There's a lot of reasons why people lie, right? A lot of reasons if you think about it. Sometimes we lie to manipulate a situation in our favor. Sometimes we lie just to make ourselves look better. Sometimes, I mean, it's just a, just an inconvenient truth, and we don't want to offend somebody. And does this dress look me, make me look fat? Well, uh, yes. No, 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 it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, put off lying, speak truth. Do you catch the reason why we're to do that? It's right there in the second half of verse 25. What, is, what does the second half of verse 25 say? I mean, we, before we even go there, we, I could tell you, well, Satan is the father of lies, right? So if you lie, who are you reflecting? You're reflecting Satan. It's the opposite of glorifying God because God cannot lie because that's against his nature. He is truth. But verse 25 tells us another reason that you may not have thought of right away. The reason that we should not lie is that, verse, what does the second half of verse 25 say there? For we are members one of another. It's pointing it right back to your community with your church family. You should be honest. You should be real, genuine, and transparent because if you don't do that, you're not going to build each other up in love. Remember verse 15 of Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love? We're building up each other as we're honest with each other. This is so important. If you're pretending to be somebody that you're not and you're not being real about what you're really dealing with, you're building a wall there's going to be disunity. There's going to be disharmony. We are members one of another. If we want to be growing as a body, we have to be honest with each other. Growth in the body starts with being honest. I mean, just think about your physical body. Does your actual physical body ever lie to itself? That's, that's ridiculous. It never happens. If you go on a hike and you see poison ivy, your mind isn't telling your foot, oh, go for that. It'll be fine. No big deal. No, your mind is like, hey, warning, don't go there. You get really itchy. Don't step into that. As a church body, we are members one of another, and we need to be honest with each other. We need to speak truth to each other. That's the same way we have to live. Hey, you know I love you. You know what? Can I ask you a question? Do you think this is actually going to help you? Do you think this is what God's best plan is for you? Comfort comes from transparent relationships, and it, and. If you don't have transparent relationships, you're going to be missing something. You're going to be missing a piece of that community that we all desperately crave. We have to have honesty with each other. We really do. God is relational. He's created us to be relational. And if we're not honest in these relationships, we're going to get stressed. We're going to have anxiety. A lot of bad things happen when you miss that we are members one of another. Here's the second way that you walk in the likeness of God in true holiness. Verses 26 and 27. Put off sinful anger and put on tenderness to shield yourself from regression. See that in verse 26? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, so sinful anger. Let's talk about that for a second. We did a podcast not that long ago uh, with the Docs of Dialogue podcast on anger. We had Amanda McCloy, Ben Sen, and myself. And we were talking about how not all anger is sinful, right? I mean, if you, if you just look at history, I mean, you can, I mean, you can see anger is a basic human emotion. And sometimes if it's channeled the right way and it's not for selfish motives, 
Anger can actually be a rallying cry for good. It can cause change in this world. There's things in this world to be angry about, right? When people are treated unfairly, when there's racial um, dis, dis, disunity, all these kind of things that we should be angry about sin and injustice in the world. Jesus was angry with sin, right? Think about what Jesus did where he thought through what he was going to do. He made that whip when he was in that court where there was the money changers that were abusing the the temple and the whole process of, of worshiping God, and they were just making money on it. Jesus was upset. He made a whip. He premeditated that. Jesus wasn't angry for himself. He wasn't just going off the rails selfishly. No, he had just anger. But the Bible says here to be angry and sin not. It's a very important distinction to make. Don't be angry when you are, don't be, don't be sinful when you're angry, excuse me. Selfish anger that lashes out, that tears down people. Anger that goes unresolved. Do you see the timetable that God even put on there? Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. If you aren't controlling your anger and it controls you, you're in the wrong place. But what do we, so that's what we put off, right? But did you see what we need to put on there in the place of it? In verses 26 and 27? Look at that, 26 and 27. Does it give us a put on? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I don't see one there right away. We'll never fare. Go down the the, the rest of the context all the way down to verses 31 and 32. And here's the next slide. The next thing that we we have here is a breakdown of some of these other things, these specifics. Bitterness and wrath. What are you to replace bitterness and wrath with? Well, you're replacing that with kindness. Anger. What do you replace anger with? Replace that and put on tenderheartedness. And then you have clamor, slander, and malice. Replace that with forgiveness. Okay, so tenderheartedness. Tenderheartedness is the antithesis I think, of an Avengers movie. God says, vengeance is mine, right? It's, it's not our job to get even. And we don't have a whole lot of million-dollar blockbuster movies out there that are based off of tenderheartedness. It's just, like, not as fun, as exciting as getting even with somebody. But this is what we see in Scripture to be a holy child of God, Someone with a beloved identity should have tender heartedness. So what does tender heartedness mean? I mean, I had to look this word up. I wanted a really clear definition because, yeah, it sounds all sweet and mushy. But what is it actually talking about? Well, tender heartedness is a very deep, nuanced word that we don't even have one good English word to fully translate it. We just don't. So I'm going to have to use multiple words. It means being empathetic. It means having compassion, being merciful, and taking pity on people. That sounds pretty different from our world, right? Do you see why being holy is being set apart and being totally different from those around us? And let me be honest, this is not one that comes easy for me. Uh, I mean, we were joking around earlier about how, you know, moms and dads can make a whole list of holiness and they can slap a holiness label on them. Maybe you have a mother. I almost called the name of this sermon... um, God's list of holiness, not your mother's list of holiness. But I was like, you know, that doesn't really give the right vibe. I mean, that's a little disrespectful to moms. I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. But I think moms in the past have been known for this, to, to, to add things, add rules that aren't really, that are, you don't really think are necessary. Well, let's just go with this for a second. 
moms and dads do the same thing. But moms really have the tenderheartedness thing down. They really do. So let's, let's praise the mothers for this. They have this more than I think anyone else does. As a matter of fact, this week, you know, I take Beckham into school every morning. And this was not a great week for me taking Beckham into school, I'll just be honest. I, one week, well, one day, um, I missed his, his snack, didn't pack a snack. The other day, I didn't pack his water bottle. And then, what was the other one? Oh, yeah. And then the other day, I literally dropped him off with no coat. No coat. It was freezing cold. So he goes into school. Julie's like, David, they're going to think we're the worst parents in the world. What are you doing? Like, I mean, she's like genuinely concerned and upset and, and really, like her tenderheartedness was feeling for Beckham. I'm just laughing it off. Oh, it's no big deal. I mean, he'll learn. Like one day being cold or recess, he'll learn to carry his coat around now. And I mean, we both forgot. Come on. I'm laughing it off. Julie's serious about this. And then just as I had written this all out, I got, I kid you not, like 10 minutes later after I wrote this down, I was talking about how moms are more tenderhearted. I got a text from Julie, and she said, David, I just saw a picture of Beckham at school. He wore the same exact outfit today as he wore yesterday. Major fail on the details this week, David. We have to do better. And I was like, yeah. I'm just going to chalk that away as you're being tenderhearted. I'm cold-hearted. I don't really care. I think it's funny that he wore the same outfit. But no, moms... Moms get this, and I don't want to belabor this point, but moms get this, and this is not just for moms, though. This is for everyone in the room, even the tough guys. Being holy says, I care about this person. I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to take pity. And if, if you're struggling with that, like me, <laughs> pray about it. Talk to God about it. Like, I need help in this area, Jesus. And if you really are offended by someone and you're hurt by someone, what is a way that you can actually get tenderheartedness for someone? Well, for sure, we already just mentioned, mentioned praying and asking God to strengthen you. But do you realize if you pray for that individual? Jesus said this, right? Pray for your enemies. I've seen this happen in my life. Somebody offends me. Somebody does something terribly wrong to me. We've all been there. This is something that happens in the church. Somebody wrongs you. You pray for them, and it's just this amazing secret recipe that takes place where we start having compassion in our hearts. We start seeing that, yeah, hurt people hurt people. And this person who hurt me is probably dealing with a lot of stuff. And you think of them and you think about their soul the way God looks at their soul, right? And you have compassion and tenderheartedness on them. Here's the third thing. The third action point, uh, the way that we start living in holiness, true holiness, number three, Put off stealing and put on hard work for the joy of generosity. I mean, you're not going to, no one's going to argue with, you know, stealing being on the list of something that you should never do if you're going to be a holy person. No one's pro-stealing, right? You've got to be pretty messed up to be pro-stealing. But there's a lot of ways to steal. When you take answers that aren't your own and you cheat in school. That's, that's stealing. Uh, when you take intellectual property and call it your own, that would be stealing. When you are working for an employer and you're supposed to be doing a job on the clock and you don't do that job and instead you're doing your own thing on the clock, you're actually stealing from your employer there. So you replace this with, what does it say there in verse 28? Hard work. 
doing labor with your hands. You replace it with honest, hard work. And work has always been a way from day one for us to glorify God. This predates the fall. If you go back to, uh, to the fall in Genesis 3, you know it was actually said to be good before the fall? Work. Work is not just the product of the fact that we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. No, God said that to Adam and Eve, he put them in a garden, and he said, labor here, subdue the earth, bring it into dominion. That is a good, God-given thing to work because it shows the character of God. And the epitome of showing God's handiwork as a creator is when we, as his creation, are also creatives. When we use our hands and build things and make things, we are showing the glory of God. We're showing his handiwork. When we restore something and fix something that is broken we, with our hands, I mean, that doesn't get any better than that. We are showing the image of our creator when we do that. So again, that's the core reason why we do it, of course, why we work hard, why we shouldn't steal. But there's another reason why in this list. This is a great list of holiness. Do you see the other reason why? Look at that, verse 28. Right there. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The reason we should work hard is not so we can just be comfortable. It's not just for our own benefit. The reason we should work hard with our hands and, 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 and glorify God in that way is so that we can actually give to those in need. I love this. This is what we as a church should be doing. We should be giving to those in need. And when you give to the church, I mean, yes, our church has bills to pay. I mean, we have a new facility here. And, and of course, we, we want to grow in giving. And I, I know there's a lot of people in this church who do give, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. So many of us in this room give to God's work here with Doxa Church. We want that to improve. We have the season of giving coming up. And I mean, I know there's a lot of gifts to give. There's a lot of people on your wish list that, that, that need gifts. Julie and I were even talking about this. We want to just kind of cut back on some of our own gifts to each other and give to Aslam. Give to the Child Freedom Coalition in India that we're going to hear about in a couple weeks. Think about this Christmas season, what you can do to give above and beyond even your tithe. There's a thousand great causes to give to with the church. There really is. But if we get that, what we do with our hands, the work that we do, it's not all for us. It's clearly a mark of holiness. Somebody who has a new identity in Christ, they are going to be generous with that. And they're wanna, they're, they want to give with that. So putting on hard, honest work for the glory of God. Uh, how are you feeling about this list? Are you, is, is this like getting a little, uh, getting to be a little bit of a drag? Does it sound like a lot of hard work? Pun intended, pun intended, <laughs> okay? I mean, if you're thinking this is getting tough, this sounds pretty hard, I want you to see here that God's list of holiness is a lot more freeing and life-giving than man-made holiness is, isn't it? It's way more simple. We're not, it's not complicated in here. Here's the, next, here's the next thing, though. There's a couple more. Number four, put off corrupt communication and put on edifying words to build up with grace. This is verses 29 and 30. How does Paul define corrupt communication? Do you see that there in the text? How is Paul defining corrupt communication? 
it's anything that tears someone down. Anything you say that does not build somebody up, rather tears them down, that's actually corrupt communication. And I still remember, I, I, when I was in college, I was in a class about being a youth pastor. So the whole class was on youth ministry. And the professor took an entire 50-minute class period just on this one verse, corrupt communication. There should be no corrupt communication coming out of your mouth. Get, up, get rid of all of it. And he was going on and on about this, and he actually challenged us. At, I mean, he was talking through, like, all the different ways it can be corrupt. Your, communica- your communication can be corrupt. It's if you're making a joke and the other person isn't really taking it as a joke anymore, and you're actually laughing at them instead of laughing with them, that would fall under this category of corrupt communication. And he was showing us all these different ways, and he challenged us, and he said, hey, see how long you can go. After class, when the bell rings, how long can you go without having any corrupt communication? No complaining, no bickering, no gossiping, no slandering. Oh, okay, all right, let's take this challenge. So the guy, um, the guy at the end of the aisle was having some problems getting his, his books together. He's stumbling over himself, trying to get his, his, his bag all ready to go. The guy between me and this guy at the end of the aisle you know, the, the guy I sat next to was not having it. He wanted to get to his next class. So what does he say? Come on, man, what's your problem? He didn't go 30 seconds without corrupt communication, right? I just laughed because I realized, wow, dude, you just, you just, you just, lost, you just lost your option there of, of winning. But the more I thought about this, and I actually started applying it to my life, like, wow, I say way more corrupt communication things than I ever thought I said. It's, it's, it's a really, it's, it's something that we really need to think through. We will, you'll catch yourself. Flattery, manipulation, being highly critical. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. Isn't that on your mom's list of holiness? Well, the spirit of that is right here, so we're going to count that one. Thank you, mom. If it fits the occasion, say it. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. To build up with grace. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Isn't that what we're called to do, to share the grace of Jesus Christ, to share his love and to build other people up with our words, to give grace to those who hear? Can you think about how many arguments in the home, at the workplace, would not be happening if there was somebody in that argument that just said, hey, I'm going to have no corrupt communication come out of my mouth. I want to be holy like God has called me to be. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Problems would, would just roll away. Thing, conflicts would dissolve. That's being holy. That's being someone with a beloved identity who's making a difference. And I know some of us are thinking, wow, David, this is impossible for me, though. Like, you don't know where I work. I understand. I, I get it. It can be really, really hard. I've been in those work environments before, too, where before I even punch in on the clock, I'm hearing a string of profanity. Like, it is insanely hard sometimes to live this one out. And believe me, if you just carry this out a little bit, you are going to stand out and be different. But that's what God calls us to do, to make every word count. And you can do that through the power of Jesus Christ. 
don't, if, if, you're, if you're far off from this, don't hang your head about it, okay? I don't, I don't want to discourage you. Instead of hanging your head of like, oh, I'll never get there, I can't do this, just lift your head up and look to Jesus Christ. Say, God, I need help in this. Again, pray and ask him to strengthen you to actually communicate with love and with grace. That's biblical holiness. And that's what this world needs. So, if this is really sounding overwhelming to you, though, and, and you need more than just, okay, I got to pray about it, great. If, if you need a little bit more, here's the last point. This is the last thing on the list of holiness, and this one is the best one because it's not just the what and the why, which, are, which is great, but point five to end this thing, it gives us the what, the why, and it gives us the how. It gives us the how right here. Okay, so point five is put off hatred and put on love to share the good news of Christ. Let's read verses 31 and 32. 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, this is hatred, slander, be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The word all there is pretty staggering. I don't know if it is to you, but it is to me. All of those jokes, all of those actions need to change. And bitterness, we know what bitterness is. It's holding on to something, refusing to forgive someone in your heart. And when you do that, you're, you're not, when you don't let go of something, you're, you're actually letting that sin continually affect you. And, and, and you're letting that actually dominate over you in a way if you don't forgive and let it go. This is another thing that we talked about on the podcast just recently, and I think the episode is going to be dropping tomorrow, where we're talking about forgiveness. When you hold on to a wrong and you refuse to let it go, it creates bitterness that eats away at your soul. When you forgive, you are letting go, and the wrong is in the past, and it's not hanging over you anymore. That's why forgiveness brings freedom, because you are not controlled by someone else's sin any longer. So forgive to be free from the sinfulness of others. You don't, ha you don't have holiness without it. If your view of holiness does not contain forgiveness and being a forgiving person, you don't have true holiness. Holiness is not pointing your finger at what other people are doing. Holiness is not pointing your finger at what they're doing or not doing. Holiness is exalting and extending your hand with kindness and tender compassion. Stop pointing the fingers and start extending your hand with empathy and forgiveness. These things of clamor, slander, malice, this is just perpetual animosity, this is resentment, this is shouting matches, fight, fault finding. We don't see any of that in the nature of God. It has nothing to do with a person who is being set apart to be different. And this is the how. The how is right there in verse 32. It goes back to the gospel. As God in Christ forgave you. When we put off hatred and we put on love, when we forgive, we are glorifying God by showing the good news of salvation. The gospel changes everything. It's so powerful. It's the why and it's the how. 
It's the why and it's the how. It's right there in Jesus Christ. And this is how we find the motivation to forgive. We can forgive other people because God forgave me. Because he forgave me, I have to forgive someone else. I promised you at the very beginning that I would give you a definition of holiness. A true definition of holiness. So we've seen the action steps. You've seen the list of holiness. If in Christ, to be accepted in the beloved, we have this new identity, we're called to put off and put, on the, put off the old, put on the new, to become different, to be set apart. That's the motivation. It's what Jesus Christ did for us. What is a great take-home definition of holiness then, to simplify it? Well, I don't think we can get any more clear than the Bible itself. So another passage that talks about holiness is 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Do you see here the difference between just being a person who is living their life, coasting along, trying to figure out what sounds good, what feels good, and being a person who says, Jesus saved me. And he gave me the ability to share his love, to be a light in this world. I can be holy because I can be set apart and be different because God forgave me first. The more like Christ we become, the more different from our fleshly lifestyle we will become. That is holiness. Holiness is being set apart. Check. Got it. All right. Great. But here's one last warning about holiness, okay? Even when we understand what holiness can be, a common mistake that Christians make all the time is we get this mental picture that, all right, I'm set apart, I'm holy, I mean, we even saw that in verse 30, right? Like you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Christians, we can think, all right, I'm special now. And I'm only gonna talk to other holy people. And I'm gonna do holy things now. And we almost get this concept of holiness as in we're a set apart ornament for God's glory. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever felt that before? I mean, a good illustration of this would be, I went over to Scott Wyatt's house a while back, and in his house, he's got some really cool collector's items, some sports memorabilia. He's got some 90s Chicago Bulls stuff. And you know what? We're not bouncing those basketballs around anymore, those autographed basketballs. I mean, what do you do with an autographed basketball that's set apart? Well, you put it on a display, and you put it in a case, and you're not handling it anymore. Right? Too often as Christians, we think of ourselves that way. I'm holy. I got to do holy things. I can't do that. I can't go there. And we're missing the concept that in Ephesians and in 1 Peter, the whole concept of holiness is active. It's not this set apart whole idea that I'm just a useless ornament on a tree. No, it's action. These are the things that you should be doing. These are the things that God wants you to do. 
I would say it's more like being set apart in an orphanage. You know you've been adopted. You're still in this orphanage for a few more, a couple more weeks before the whole adoption finalizes and you move out of there. So what are you doing? I mean, you don't care that these other kids are different than you, that they're not adopted yet. You want them to be adopted just like you, right? So you go out of your way to help them, to show grace, to, to speak the truth and love, to like guide them and help them. And, and you, you want them to have what you have. You're set apart. You've been adopted. Mingle with the kids that are still in the orphanage who don't have that yet and help them also get adopted. That is holiness. And it always, always, always goes back to saying, Jesus saved me. I didn't save myself. Jesus came to this world. He died for me. He shed his blood on the cross. He rose again. Remember, you were lost. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, out of his own loving kindness, he forgave you, and he made us into someone who actually can live out all those same glorious truths of God. So holiness isn't some man-made thing where we slap some label on it and we feel good about ourselves. That's not holiness. Don't confuse that. Holiness is being different because God has called you to be different. And it's loving people with tender hardness, compassion, and care. Stand up with me, please. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this clear truth of who you've called us to be. Lord, may we be holy. We don't have it in us. There's things that we all struggle with. Some of us struggle with being tenderhearted. Some of us struggle with stealing. Some of us struggle just with being honest. Some of us get angry really, really fast, Lord. And we know what you have for us. We know what you want us to be. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for making us new. And may you empower us to do that, Lord. Jesus, you are our living hope. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.